The scripture lesson this morning comes from Matthew's Gospel, the fourth chapter, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is the word of the Lord. This is part two of our three-part series on the temptations that Jesus faced while he was walking around in the wilderness for 40 days. Last week we talked about the temptation that we have to believe that we just do not have enough in our lives. We don't have enough resources. We don't have enough time. We don't have enough faith. We talked about how we often start thinking that we don't have enough of these things while we're walking through the wilderness of our lives because we end up looking around at what everyone else may have, however much or however little that may be. We ended up talking about how whatever it is that we have or we don't have in our lives ends up becoming a major part of our lives, how we make it a major part of our lives. And when it comes down to it, what should be the most important thing that we're focused on is the love of God that each one of us continues to experience every single day. And if we make that the starting point for everything that we do, everything we see, everything we experience, then we start to realize that that temptation to believe that we just don't have enough starts to fade away. Today we move a little further into the wilderness and we're going to be talking about the temptation that we have to control God. This may not be one of those times that we gather together to worship and we end up leaving feeling good and and happy about the way that we may have treated God. But I promise you that at the end of worship today, you'll end up finding God's grace or maybe more of the case that God's grace ends up finding each one of us. November 25th, 1992. November 25th, 1992. This is an incredibly important date in in the history of our country. More importantly, it's an incredibly important date in the history of my life. Do any of y'all have any idea what happened on November the 25th, 1992? Really? That important for you, huh? Disney released Aladdin. Disney released Aladdin, and the United States was introduced to a big blue genie that was voiced by the great Robin Williams. This genie captured my imagination at the age of five years old. I love to be in control. I love to be in control of whatever it is that I'm doing. I don't like for things to happen when I am not controlling them. I'm not a control freak, but if things are going to happen, I like to have a large say in how they are going to happen, when they are going to happen, and why they are going to happen. To see that magic genies may exist... Oh, don't look like that, you know. (laughs) To see that... 
No. <laughs> to see that magic genies may exist in some faraway, deserted place. Changed my career goal at five years old. I decided I was going to be a treasure hunter. And the Holy Grail, the, tra- the, the treasure that I would spend my career chasing after, would be a lamp that had a magic genie in it. And that particular genie would be blue, and it would be voiced by the great Robin Williams. What a wonderful thing that would be if I had access to a genie that could grant my every wish, that I could control, that I could make my life be the way I want it to be. If I want more money, boom, I've got more money. If I want a magic carpet that can fly and really fast, I've got it. I can wish for anything that my heart desires, and I could have it. Wouldn't it be great if we all had a big blue magic genie with a wonderful sense of humor? June 29th, 2007. This is another important date in the history of America. Do any of you have any idea why June 29th, 2007 is so important? iPhones. What have I got here? How easy is it for you to reach for yours? Is it within arm's reach? No? Is it on? Is it going to ring? June 29th, 2007. It's the date that Steve Jobs, former CEO of Apple, introduced the iPhone to America and released the iPhone to America. It changed the way that we operate our lives. It has literally changed our world. This iPhone can do amazing things. It really can. It's my alarm clock. It's my music player. It's my calendar. What else does it do? It can answer almost any question that I have at the push of a button. It's also got a little personal assistant hooked to it who can neither understand my accent nor provide useful information, but she's there. She is there. It can even make phone calls if I ask it to. This iPhone can tell me when my chicken nuggets are ready. It can tell me when Duke's about to tip off. It can keep me in touch with all of my friends and all of my family. And if I press the right buttons, I can even make someone who lives a long way away on the other side of the world show up and have a video chat on my phone. That is truly amazing. I once thought that genies only lived in magic lamps and faraway deserts. I thought that I wanted to be a treasure hunter when I grew up. But on June 29, 2007, Apple made it so that we don't have to go to a faraway desert place to find our genies. All we have to do is go to our local wireless retailer and ask for the iPhone, and we have got our magic lamp in our pockets. You can do all sorts of stuff, but there are some things that an iPhone can't do. Even Aladdin's genie in the lamp had certain things that it could not do. It just couldn't do it. But to someone in the 1950s, 1960s, maybe even the 70s and 80s, If they looked at an iPhone back then, they may think that is what a genie in a magic lamp looks like. It's amazing. And as amazing as this iPhone is, it still won't do anything without me telling it to do it. I control it. I control everything that it does. It does what I say with the exception of Siri, my personal assistant on there. I found my genie in a lamp. And I didn't have to go to a faraway desert place to have it. Matthew writes in his gospel, Then the devil took him to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself off the temple. For it is written that his angels will, they will, they will minister to you. They will minister to you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. The devil's trying to put Jesus to the test by trying to get Jesus to put God to the test. The tempter's trying to tell Jesus that Jesus can take control of the situation. Jesus doesn't have to keep wandering around in the desert aimlessly anymore. The devil is trying to get Jesus 
to question himself. He's trying to get Jesus to question who it is that he is. If you are who you say you are, if you are the Son of God, then do this. Go ahead. If you are the Son of God, jump off. I dare you. The devil's trying to put Jesus back in control. He's trying to have the Son of God take control of God. The devil's trying to reduce God to a big blue genie in a magic lamp, the one who can bail Jesus out whenever Jesus gets in trouble. How many times do we end up taking up the tempter on this offer? How often do we find ourselves trying to get God to bail us out of trouble when we've jumped off the temple just to see if God can actually bail us out of trouble? How many times do we begin to question whether or not God will be there when we find ourselves, ourselves falling and we're out of control? How many times do we look around and feel like God has abandoned us just because we can't see Him immediately? And then we end up putting God to the test just to see if He's still there. When I was a kid, I was still trying to figure out whether it was true that God could talk to me, right? I'd read in the Bible that God would talk to these people, and, and I had never heard God talk. I had never, never heard God speak like another human being anyway, and I wanted to know if God was actually there, right? I had heard God talk to people, but I had never actually heard Him. And as far as I was concerned, if I couldn't see Him, if I couldn't hear Him speak like another human being, then He wasn't doing me very much good at all, Right? It seems to be the way we still think of God a lot of the times. If I couldn't prove that He existed in a very usable way in my life, well, then it didn't matter if He existed or not. I would come up with these little games or, or little experiments, and I would try to get God to come out of hiding. Most of the time, it resulted in me screaming towards the sky for God to show Himself to me. And I did what I could to try to poke the bear to get some kind of reaction out of God. I'd clearly not encountered this passage yet, that we shouldn't be putting God to the test. I've grown a little older now, as many of us have, but I still find myself putting God to the test in different ways. I don't scream at the sky as often anymore. Occasionally I will, but most of the time not. Most of the time not to put God to the test. But sometimes I do this. Sometimes I want to know if God's there. I want to know if He still exists in my presence. Sometimes I do this to make sure that He's heard me. Sometimes I do this because I've asked God to do something because I really need it done. Or, or I've asked God to do something because somebody else really needs something done. Somebody needs something in their life. They don't just want it. They actually need it. And I end up putting God to the test to see if He's heard. Sometimes I think I put God to the test. I try to control God because I end up thinking about God the same way that I think about my iPhone. I think about God like He's a big blue genie and a magic lamp that will come out whenever I rub that lamp the right way. See, God becomes the granter of my wishes instead of the maker of my existence. God becomes the one who makes my life complete with all of these things that I ask for instead of the one who gave His Son's life so that my life could be made complete in Him. Jesus answers the tempter in a very, very interesting way when the tempter tries to get Him to control God. Jesus says, it's written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy here. More specifically, Jesus is quoting a, a passage in Deuteronomy that's connected to, to one of God's promises to his people, but it's also a warning that God is giving to his people. Listen to these words that come before the quote that Jesus is quoting here. Even though Jesus' response to the tempter, to Satan, doesn't specifically include this passage. 
we can all be sure that it was right there in Jesus' heart. And Satan knew exactly what he was saying. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God is in the midst of you and is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be enkindled against you, and he destroy you from the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Folks, that's a mouthful. That's a heavy warning. But it's an important warning. This gives a little more weight to what it is that Jesus is quoting to Satan there on the top of that temple than just, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus is telling the tempter that whatever it is that we have, we have because God has given it to us. We have resources, we have talents, we have time, we have spiritual gifts. We have all of these things because God has seen fit for us to have them, to use them, to build his kingdom here on earth, not to put God to the test. But we're also never to let those things become our God. These things must never become more important than the one who gave them to us. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is but one God, one true God. He's not a big blue genie. He's not a piece of portable technology. Our God is much greater than anything that can fit in a lamp or in your pocket. Our God is the one who can breathe mountains into existence and he can paint clouds into the skies. Our God can speak love into our hearts and mercy into our lives. But our God cannot be controlled by any of us. Jesus is telling the tempter and the wilderness, all of this, and us now, that God is God, and we are not. If God calls us into the wilderness, then he'll be in the wilderness with us. If we feel like God has abandoned us, then it might be a real good time to remember that God is the one who created each one of us and called us good and said He loved us. God doesn't abandon anything He creates. God creates out of love and wants to be in a relationship with each and every one of us. If you remember back to that movie, Aladdin, the genie wore gold bracelets on his wrists. The gold bracelets gave him his power, but they were also a symbol that he was to be controlled by whoever it was that held the lamp. Our God wears no gold bracelets. That relationship that Aladdin had with his genie should not look like the relationship that we have with our God. We don't control God that way. If anything, it should look the other way around. Because we have given our hearts to God because God has written His love all over our lives. It should be that we do His will. The one who serves can't put the Master to the test. The one who serves the risen Lord serves 
willingly and freely. The one who recognizes that the Lord our God is one. The one God, the one true God, and bows before the throne of grace. Understands that there is no need to test that God. We know that He is here. We know that He is alive. We know that He is very real. We feel it. We experience that life-giving power that God gives to us every day that we're able to wake up and see. Every day that we're able to wake up and feel His Spirit come into our lungs and breathe new life into each one of us. We recognize that that is God's grace, and it comes to us in many different ways. In just a few moments, we're all going to get to experience the grace of God as we come to the table. We're going to commune together over Jesus' body and blood. We'll share in this holy sacrament. It's a thing that appears on the outside to be very common, but that we know to be a very, very holy thing. Something that is sacred, something that gives us life a means of grace, a means by which we receive God's grace. There's no need for us to put God to the test. We can focus all our attention on God, and there's no need to put God to the test. He's proven himself time and again to be faithful and to be loving. And as you taste that body, as you taste that blood, let it strengthen you that you might go back out into the wilderness, and you might be able to go in the strength of that Spirit and give yourself for others as Jesus has given himself for you.